This is Psalms to God, Season 3, Episode 10. Condemnation, Correction, and Conviction. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.psalmstoguide.com. One who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and one who rebukes a wicked person gets insults for himself. Do not rebuke a scoffer, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise person, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise person, and he will become still wiser. Teach a righteous person, and he will increase his insight. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 9, New American Standard Bible. Welcome back to the Psalms God podcast. This is your host, Ree, and today we're going to talk about the three C's in Christianity. That's condemnation, correction, and conviction. I want to talk about these because I've noticed that people have been getting these all kinds of confused and mangled and muddied, and I feel like it's the root of a lot of church hurt. It's also the root of why we're not growing. Uh, spiritually and I just think it's really important that we understand these three concepts what our role is um, how we're supposed to use them or not use them and uh, how they come together to shape us as better people so let's go through some of the definitions talk about how they impact us and how they should be um, used in our day-to-day life because essentially, even though this is not common knowledge, I feel like it should be common knowledge. And that's why I'm including it in this season. So let's start with condemnation because it's the most popular. Condemnation is the expression of very strong disapproval. Uh, it's basically censuring people. That's the dictionary definition of condemnation. Now. Condemnation is something that can come externally or internally. We can condemn ourselves, other people can condemn us. Usually it's other people condemning us, but we have to be careful that it's not us condemning ourselves. The thing about condemnation is that from a biblical standpoint, there is no indication that we are as humans are supposed to be condemning ourselves or other humans. That seems to be more of like a final judgment type of a thing that comes uh, depending on how you look at it from satan or from god right so god is the judge and god determines our you know the final end all say all be all of what's going to happen to us but it's really satan that gets into our heads and causes us to condemn ourselves causes us to think that because we messed up we can't move forward or that we somehow have severed our relationship with God or with Christ and that's not the case so that's why I say depending on how you look at it um, there are verses in for instance Job and Proverbs Job 10 verse 2 Proverbs 12 verse 2 where it talks about 
uh, nations being condemned, people being condemned. And again, in both of these examples, you'll notice that it's not a human being condemning another human being. This is somewhere we want to stay away from. We Basically, you want to stay away from condemning people. Um, one of the things that I use to remind me that condemnation is not our responsibility are all the verses that talk about forgiveness. Because forgiveness is basically the opposite of condemnation. In Matthew, right, Jesus tells us that we're supposed to forgive 70 times 70. This is in Matthew chapter 18, near the end, around verse 22 or so. Um, if you read that entire passage, it's also the passage, the parable about the, uh, the, the good and the bad debtor. There's a rich man who is, uh, who forgives the debts of, of one person who owes him like a ton of money, but then that person goes out and harasses someone else to get a smaller amount of money. And Christ is making the point, like, this person forgave, forgave you, but you didn't forgive this other person. And you, we see this same concept in uh, the, the, the example prayer that Christ gives where we pray and we say, you know, Father, forgive us of our trespasses just as we forgive those who trespass against us. The entire concept is if I can't forgive you, then why should God forgive me, right? And we're all in the same boat. We're all making mistakes. We're all sinning. We may not be committing the same sins, but we are committing sins. And in the grand scheme of things, it's the same thing. So we're all struggling, you know, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. That's also um, a quote from Christ himself. So in that regard, we shouldn't be condemning anyone. My heart, your heart, as followers of Christ, as followers of Yahweh, who does not want anyone to be uh, condemned, we all should be hoping that other people are forgiven. We should be forgiving them because I want to be forgiven, right? So if God can forgive you, he can forgive me. And if I can forgive you, I can be forgiven. That's the mentality that we should have when we're approaching any situation. So first and foremost, condemnation, stay away from it. That's pretty simple. Now, that being said, we can't just let people run amok, right? Like God does have some sort of uh, standard or idea that he wants us to be striving towards. We should never be stagnant. Okay, so that's where we get into correction. Correction's a little tricky because a lot of people don't like to be corrected. A lot of people take correction as condemnation. If you tell somebody they're doing something wrong, they become defensive. And sometimes it's because of how we're delivering it. Sometimes we deliver correction in an unloving, ungraceful, condemning manner. And that's a self problem. That's us. That's a problem with us in our delivery. But sometimes it's because people don't want to hear that con that correction. And so there's some navigating some nuance there um, in figuring out what the situation is and whether it's something that, you know, we should improve upon or, or I personally, you personally should improve upon or if it's an issue with that person. But biblically speaking, correction is very important, okay? Um, from a dictionary standpoint, the definition of correction is the action or process of correcting something or rectifying an error. 
this is not just biblically important, it's important in life in general. Um, as someone who plays a musical instrument, I play the oboe. When I started taking oboe lessons, I got a private teacher and she corrected me on things to make me a better oboist. She corrected me on what kind of reed I bought on, you know, the art of making reeds in general. Um, also on my embouchure, on how I held the instrument, on how I sat, my posture, how I was breathing, and all of these things helped me to become a better oboist. If she hadn't just let me play poorly and in poor form, it would have became a habit and I would have had a hard time breaking it and I also would have never progressed as an oboist. The same thing is true about our walk spiritually. There are things where we fall short and it is a lot easier for you watching this video to see my face than it is for me. Even as I record it, I don't have a setup right now where I'm looking at myself. I'm just looking into the camera. So I could have things on my face, I could have something in my hair, I would never know what my face looks like right now unless somebody else was in the room telling me like, hey Sheree, you, there's something wrong with your face right now. Um, or if I go back to roll this footage and I see it in the footage. So this is one of the things that God provides us with our Christian brothers and sisters. They are our accountability partners. They can see things that we can't see about ourselves. And when done in love, they hold us accountable and help us to grow. And we return that favor by doing the same thing for them. One of the important Bible verses that I found on correction that I think we should read out loud is in Proverbs. It's in chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. It says, One who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. And one who rebukes a wicked person gets insults for himself. Do not rebuke a scoffer, for he will hate you. Rebuke a wise person, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise person, and he will become still wiser. Teach a righteous person, and he will increase in insight. And this is where I was saying sometimes people just become defensive. That is the scoffer or the wicked person. They're not trying to grow. Um, and in those cases, you really can't help them. One of the things that I've learned over time is how to discern who is actually willing to hear something versus someone who's not. Um, in some cases, you know, relationship is the key factor. Um, there's an elder at the church I used to attend who's always talking about relationship. You have to be in relationship with people before you can correct people. To a certain extent, I agree with that. Um, you know, things often come out a lot better and a lot smoother when there is a relationship there, when that person realizes you're not just randomly saying that. Like, nobody wants the first thing someone says to them to be like, hey, you don't act right, or you don't look right, or blah, blah, blah. Like, that comes out a lot better when it's from somebody that you love. And also, as the person giving the criticism or the correction, it's a lot easier to find a way to say it in love when you know the person, you know their struggle, you know where they're coming from. Now, that being said, when we are on our journey and we are purposefully seeking out God, uh, sometimes correction can come from strangers and it doesn't come off off-putting. Sometimes it is a confirmation or something um, because just like with condemnation, correction can be internal and external. 
you can tell me that I'm doing something wrong, but sometimes I know I'm doing something wrong, right? Sometimes I can look at myself and be like, I don't really know about this. Um, so sometimes if I'm already kind of on that train of thought and already thinking that way, a complete stranger could say something. And I'd be like, you know what? They're right. They're right. Um, and sometimes it's just wisdom within the person to accept criticism, right? Um, and then, you know, there are other cases that I would argue whether the person accepts it or not, it's, you're just gonna have to correct the person. Um, as Proverbs says, you know, if you rebuke a scoffer, they will hate you. I ideally, you don't want people to hate you, but the fact of the matter is, um, when people are doing things that are harmful to other people, you're going to have to, right? So if you have someone in your church that is, let, let, I mean, let's take it, let's just escalate it all the way up there, right? If you have someone who is sexually abusing someone, someone who is a pedophile, someone who's stealing money, someone who is um, harassing people, someone who is purposefully offending people, or even unintentionally offending people, you've got to say something. Um, one of the things that I've been very vocal about is things happening in public, you got to fix it in public. So even if I don't know you, if I'm in a situation and you are saying something disrespectful to someone else, I'm going to correct you, whether I have a relationship with you or not. Um, and that's where you get into that, that issue of, you know, a wicked person or a scoffer, someone who is unwise may hate you afterwards. And you have to come to the point that you're okay with it. Um, and then in other cases, you have to figure out the discernment piece to determine whether or not you're going to say something or not based on your relationship with the person and based on whether or not it's even worth making the statement for the correction. Like, is it a nitpick of a correction or is it like a major thing, right? Um, so that's one of the, th the, the nuances, I guess, of correction. But correction is heavily tied to conviction. That's that third C that we want to talk about. Okay, so conviction. Conviction is by far the most important part. Um, that's why I wanted to save it for last so it will stick in the mind and stay there. Conviction is a firmly held belief. It is something that must come from inside you, inside me. No one external to me or to you can make you convicted of something. Now I know like if you hear the word conviction like you know a criminal has been convicted of a crime or you know there's a conviction um, but I'm talking about conviction in terms of one a, a biblical definition of conviction and two conviction in terms of motivation. Conviction is important because without conviction you have absolutely no reason to change. If I'm not convicted, you can't correct me. The thing is, if you tell me something, if you're coming to tell me something and I don't see a problem with it, I'm just gonna be annoyed with you. And this ranges the entire spectrum. So if you're coming to me and telling me that I'm dressed immodestly or inappropriately, um, you know, using myself as an example, um, I, was attending a Adventist church despite the fact that I'm not exactly Adventist and so Adventists teach that jewelry is not appropriate or that you're not supposed to wear jewelry um, so they would 
you know, I may enter an Adventist church and they may say something about the fact that I have on earrings. But because I'm not convicted that that is actually a valid interpretation of Bible verses, it doesn't mean anything to me. I may be at the point in my spiritual journey where I'm not going to get upset, I'm not going to get angry, I'm not going to start arguing, but it's falling on deaf ears, right? Um, similarly, I have purple hair. Many churches would probably say I've lost my mind and they may say something and depending on how the Holy Spirit is flowing right now, I feel like it's fine. Obviously, I dyed my hair purple, but I, you know, it's not going to mean much to me, right? Or if, you know, if you say something about my shoulders or being out, that that's immodest. Um, obviously, the fact that I'm on camera right now means that I'm not convicted that that is an issue. Um, and a person external to me cannot do that. That has to come from an internal place. It either has to be me, like I believe that, or it has to be the Holy Spirit telling me that. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, uh, Jesus is talking to, I think, Peter, and he tell Peter tells Christ that he is the Messiah. And Christ's response is that that didn't come from flesh and blood, that the Father had to tell him that. The same thing is true with conviction. A lot of times the Holy Spirit has to tell us what's right and what's wrong. The Holy Spirit is the one who does some stuff in our heart and changes our heart to match God's heart. And that's the whole process of being born again. A lot of us stop at the belief stage, right? The the summary of the gospel is, you know, Christ rose from the dead, all you have to do is believe on him, right? John 3:16, whosoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. And we get there and then we just stop. But the thing is there is a key component when you start looking at the etymologies of the words and you look at the original words. Belief is not just, I believe this or I think that this is true. It is also an action. Part of our belief in Christ is our acceptance of Christ. And that's a key factor in the fact that, you know, Satan knows that Christ is Christ. He knows that he's the Messiah. He knows that he was killed he knows that he rose from the dead and why he rose from the dead like he was there for all of this right the difference between us and satan is that satan has chosen to ignore it satan doesn't care that that happened and he's choosing to do his own thing and not make christ king of his life we on the other hand believe that christ has done this for us and we're accepting it and making him lord over our life when we make him Lord over our life, that is when we receive the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is when the Holy Spirit has room to convict us. This is when we start our actual journey, our relationship with God. And that's the important thing. Your relationship is not going to look like my relationship. And how we get to him is going to be different because we're going to have different hurdles in our way, different obstacles, different life experiences. And because of that, we may be convicted of different things at different times in our life. For instance, I have a friend who sent me a Lecrae song and I clicked play, I'm listening to this Lecrae song. And as soon as the song started, I got completely distracted because Lecrae sampled from a popular hip hop beat. And I was familiar with the original song and some of the other 
popular hip-hop songs that had also sampled from that beat and so my mind got distracted and I started thinking of these other songs and I had a hard time focusing on Lecrae's lyrics because I was remembering the lyrics from this other song. There's already a pathway cut in my brain that associates that beat with this particular lyric or this particular feeling or vibe or whatever and it's hard to break that pathway. So for me that is a horrible worship song. I cannot listen to that in worship because I get scatterbrained. But for someone who has never heard those other songs before, that song may be the best worship song ever, right? These are the types of things I mean when I say, like, sometimes our convictions won't match word for word, toe to toe. There are some basic things that where our convictions should match equally, right? We all should agree that murder is wrong, right? The Bible says that flat out, don't kill people. But there are certain things in our lives that we will be specific to us, or they may be specific to a time. And then there are some things that maybe everybody should get to, but maybe it's not the right time because we all need a spiritual mentor. We all need somebody to help us grow. And when that person appears is when you will be convicted of whatever it is that they're supposed to help you with. Similarly, for those of us who grew up in the church, for those of us who, or who did not grow up in the church, when you're younger, you don't often have the same capacity to affect change in your life. So for instance, coming from someone who has grown up and become a vegetarian who stopped eating unclean meat for religious reasons, who does not celebrate the pagan holidays, and who keeps the Sabbath, these, a lot of these things are choices I could not make as a child. Uh, aside, I'm not saying that you have to, I'm not saying that I was convicted of vegetarianism for religious reasons. I just threw it in there because it's also something that I could not have done as a child if I wanted to. Um, but in general, you, as a child, when you're living with your parents, you don't have the same autonomy. So certain things, I feel like God didn't tell me those things when I was, you know, 12, even though I had certain questions, because I couldn't handle it. I couldn't do anything about it. So he just waited until I was 22. That doesn't mean that I wasn't listening to God or that I was wrong or anything in between. It just means that it wasn't time for me to, to experience that part of my journey. And when we're talking to other believers, we have to keep this in mind. It may not be their time. It may, we may just be planting seeds or we may be a confirmation person. And that's what I hope uh, my, my blog and my podcast does for people. What, the way I see it is when you go through this journey, like I said, there are steps. The first step is the belief. That's the most important thing. You get your belief then the surrendering that is also important you believe and you surrender you make god the king of your heart the king of your life that's salvation right that's the gospel but once you start that journey that is when change happens that's when you truly die to sin die to the flesh and you start to grow spiritually as you do that you should be seeking your own relationship with god this is why many of us study why we read the bible why we read devotions why we come together and discuss issues and it's during this time period that the holy spirit starts to convict us and sometimes it is a seed that someone has planted someone mentions something and it triggers something and you're like oh i wonder about that right 
But sometimes it's I'm reading something and that reading triggers something. And then sometimes it is I go out looking because I have that question. And maybe I see a sermon online or maybe I see a podcast or a blog post online and that helps to confirm what the Holy Spirit was trying to tell me. In other cases, I wasn't necessarily looking for it. It just, the confirmation came and I was like, oh wow, okay. So I wasn't really looking for confirmation, but I guess God is trying to tell me something here. Um, and that's really more so how conviction works. But it's important to remember that that is between an individual and God. I've met a lot of people who think that it's their responsibility to convict someone or that it's the church's responsibility or the pastor's responsibility. And it's not. Conviction has to come from within. If conviction comes external, it's legalism. This is when people start following rules for the sake of following rules. And that is when people are trying to be saved by following rules. Like I go to church to be saved or I, I go to church. That's what makes me makes me saved or I, I, you know, I keep Sabbath or I don't eat this or I do eat that or I don't wear this. And if you're not convicted internally, you're just following rules because you've been told this is how you're supposed to behave. And there's like a fear thing. And like I said, that's legalism. When you're doing things because you're convicted, it's not that you're doing them to be saved. It's you are saved. Therefore, you are experiencing a growth or a change in behavior. The same way, like if you were married and you bought your spouse flowers, you don't buy your spouse flowers for them to love you. You bought them flowers because you love them. So it's it's a similar concept. Once you have surrendered to God and to, to Christ, your behavior changes because your heart is moving closer to their heart because you are saved. And the only reason your heart can move closer to their heart is because Christ died on the cross for me for you and because you believe that he did it. It has there is no other there's no way for you to earn this or to work your way into this change. And if you die before you get a chance to go on this journey like the thief on the cross, then you'd still be saved. It's just that as you live, you should be striving to move closer and closer to God's heart. So that's kind of a summary of those three words. I wanted to bring them to the forefront and have a conversation about them because it's really hard, uh, particularly in our society, where we're kind of trained from birth not to offend people um, and to be more tolerant but at the same time you don't really want to compromise your beliefs but you don't really know how to express it and things get really muddy um, and then of course we also we all have that nature where we just want to do what we want to do whether it's right or not and so that causes a lot of confusion and it comes out in our actions in our treatment of other people and our reception from other people and it's something that each of us has to work on individually but i think it's really important because i think it i think understanding these concepts will help each of us grow as christians and spiritually and i also think it will help us cut down on church hurt because we're not doing things that we shouldn't be doing and we're not trying to take responsibility for things that we should not be taking responsibility for. Um, and so 
I just wanted to leave you guys with these thoughts and ask you to reflect on these three C's, condemnation, correction, and conviction. And before you say things or before you, uh, you know, get a little judgy about people, think about what I've said and think about, are you correcting a person in love? Are you being corrected in love? Are you accepting the correction or are you just trying to do your own thing? Um, same thing with conviction. Key question being, are you convicted? Um, and are you doing things because you're convicted or are you doing things because you've been told? Uh, just because the church is telling you to do it doesn't mean that God has convicted you of it and it doesn't even mean that it's actually a valid thing to be doing or not doing. Um, and then of course, you know, are you trying to convince somebody of something that they're not convicted of? Because maybe it's just something for you um, and maybe you're not in the same place they are or they're not in the same place you are and it's not the time for them to be convicted. So with that being said, I hope you have a blessed day and that this helps you in your communication and your spiritual growth. See you guys next week. Bye.